Father, this evening we come to you, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would teach us. You are the one and only teacher. And you sent your spirit that we would be taught of him and by him. And you would reveal all things to us concerning you. And even tonight as we gather, we have not just come for knowledge. We have come to know you better. Know you more. Speak to us. Teach us. Give us open ears, an understanding mind, and a believing heart. And help us to remember, Lord. We often forget. Help us to remember. Bring to our remembrance, O Lord, the things that you are teaching us. That it may become life for each one of us. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we continue the study of the Word of God, continue to remember what you heard last week, Wednesday, Sunday. Okay, remember, whatever you can remember for Sunday's message, remember he used, Pastor Vijay used a few terms which you hear in science. Life is deterministic. It still rings in my mind, okay? Meaning it's not random. It's not random. If you look at the choices a person is making, it's absolutely clear where he will end. Be clear. Each one of us know where we are going because we know exactly the choices we are making inside. Outside, everybody looks the same, but inside we all know the choices we are making. And it will ultimately tell us where we end. So it's not random. Life is not random. It's very clear. And God says that in the word very clearly. You don't sow apple seed and get oranges. You don't. Never happens. You don't sow figs and get apples. Doesn't happen. You get according to what you sow. Every day we are sowing, we are making choices. Okay? So let's learn from the word because from the word you get to know what is a good seed. The best seed. Everlasting seed because his word is like a seed. He himself said, okay? So, today is one day after Independence Day. I'm sure you all danced yesterday. And, uh, okay. But when it comes to, from God's perspective, the future of a nation, even this nation, doesn't lie in the Rashtrapati Bhavan or in the halls of the parliament or even with the government. We say North Block and South Block. Or if you put in U.S. terms, it doesn't lie with the White House or the Congress or the Senate. The future of every nation from God's perspective lies in the hands of God's people. Lies in the hands of God's people. People never even realize. Sometimes you don't even realize the future of this nation. Remember what I said on Sunday? A nation is not a map written on a paper. It is the people. The future of the people of this nation lies in the hands of God's people. Because man looks in terms of prosperity and development. That's what you heard on the speech yesterday from the Prime Minister. But God looks in terms of judgment, not in terms of prosperity. So if you look into the Bible, if you look in the times of Noah, the fate of the entire known world then was in the hands of one man and his family. 
whether they would believe what he said and imitated their behavior they would be saved and whatever the governments of that time did had no relevance the only thing that was ultimately relevant was do you believe what this man says and if you did you are saved if you didn't you are doomed and you know nobody believed he his wife three sons and three daughters and the rest were doomed in the time of abraham the lives of the people in the cities of sodom and gomorrah and the entire plain lay in the hands of one man and his family would they believe even in the last hour would they believe somebody in the family would believe in genesis chapter 19 and verse 12 scripture says the man said to lord have you anyone else here son in law your sons your daughters whom you have in the city take them out of this place and the next words actually will say 13 uh, actually i think it's 13 he will say he went and he spoke and they laughed at him what did they do yeah yeah 13 14 if you look at it yeah you will see they laughed at him they didn't believe they didn't believe verse 14 yeah So Lot went out spoke to his son-in-law who had married his daughters and said because this is what happens when you try to witness in the last hour. Okay. God says keep on witnessing but we wake up only just a few minutes before judgment and then you look I can only reach my family but even the family doesn't believe. The family doesn't believe. So that day for the whole entire world which was under judgment there in that context the only thing that mattered they didn't believe his words they thought he seemed to be joking but he was very serious he seemed to be joking soren kegard the german philosopher talks about a town which was caught fire and the only one who saw the fire there was a circus going on in that city and the circus was over in the night the city caught fire and the only one who saw the fire was a circus clown so he ran through the streets and telling the people this is fire fire coming and everybody laughed at him because he was wearing his dress what was he wearing his clown costume that's exactly god says if you don't wear my costume and warn the people nobody is going to believe you judgment is coming you act like the world walk like the world talk like the world live like the world until judgment is coming they laugh at us that's what i'm saying this is the history recorded in the bible when israel was in egypt everybody's life in Egypt both Egyptians and Israelites dependent upon one word spoken by Moses in Exodus 12 and verse 13 one word now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are and when i see the blood i will pass over you that's all one word Moses spoke the blood is there you are safe the blood is in there it doesn't matter whether you are Jew or Egyptian you died the only thing that mattered was would you believe or not everybody's life was dependent upon this one word then if you know when israel crossed and came into the promised land 
the lives of the people of Canaan lay on the fact whether they would believe the words of two men. Just two men. Joshua chapter 2. Unless when we come into the land and you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, all your father's household to your own home. It's one thing. In the next verse. So it shall be whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be always on his head. But if you happen to be inside, you are safe. Very simple. Only thing was asked was that when we come, one thing. You have a window, put a red ribbon outside your window. That house is safe. I don't know how God is going to judge. He hasn't told me how he's going to judge. We have no clue. How his ways of judgment, we do not know. But I know if you have the covering of the blood, the red ribbon, you are safe. Imagine everybody in the city of Jericho believed that. And when Israel came out of every window, there was a red ribbon and the gates were open. They would have been saved. Nobody would have died. Nobody believed except one family. Okay. So we see this going over and over and over and over. An entire city in the one of the last books in the old covenant, Nineveh. 120,000 people, men, women and children and all the animals, every living thing in that city, dependent upon whether they would believe in the words of one man. One man. 40 days, Nineveh is no more. And you know what happened? Nineveh, one of the most wicked cities recorded in the Bible, which finally it was so wicked later, God had to destroy it completely. That city did what Noah's generation did, Lord's generation did, didn't do, the Egyptians didn't do, or the Canaanites did not do. That city received that message. So it's not your wickedness that matters, whether you're willing to listen and obey and change. You know, it's probably more wicked than all the other ones. If you look at what they have done, Bible records what the Ninevites were like. But they heard, but they believed, and they obeyed. And God said, I'm not going to destroy you. So the problem is not with the message. The problem is with us who hear. Okay? With us who hear. So, but those who have heard the message and believed have come into the kingdom. That doesn't mean the message has stopped. The message still continues. Till the day he comes, the messages continue. So the question is, what is judgment or the effect of judgment or the purpose of judgment? Okay. What is the purpose of judgment? The answer is, through judgments, God makes a separation. It is through judgments... God makes a separation. Everything was dark and God spoke and it was a judgment. Let there be light. And suddenly darkness and light were separated. And there were waters everywhere. And God said, let the waters be separated. Waters. So through judgment on Noah's time, the righteous and the unrighteous were separated. Lots, the righteous, one family God found righteous, that one and the rest were separated. So judgment causes separation. And what is the purpose of separation? What was the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross? Because that is judgment. Because he wants separation. 
And what is the purpose of separation? Titus will say in Titus chapter 2 verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special or peculiar people zealous for good works. This comes at the end, okay? This comes at the end. This doesn't make you anything in the beginning. First he redeems us from every lawless deed. Then he purifies us for himself, his own peculiar people or special people, zealous for good works. That's the purpose of judgment. This is should. How do we know his judgments are taking place in my life? Is You look at the result of judgment. Okay. So first he had to redeem us because of God's righteousness. Because of God's Righteousness. God is a righteous God. Therefore, every form of lawlessness, sin has to be judged. So he has to redeem us because we cannot redeem ourselves. Then he has to purify us. Why? Because the one who redeems is holy. So these are two concepts. This is because of righteousness and this is because of holiness. Okay. And then we become his own special. Another version will use the term peculiar people and become zealous for good works because our father is the father of good works. That's the reason. Okay, so that comes at the end, not in the beginning. So unto himself, remember, unto himself, purify for himself, his own special people. After the 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 as we go through this judgment, what do we become? We become his own special people separated unto himself. Why? If God does not have you and I, then he is jealous of whatever takes us from him. And that's the basis of separation. Whatever takes, whoever, whatever takes you and me from him, he's jealous of that. Because he has redeemed us for himself. The reason behind the struggle of most believing Christians is that they are not a peculiar people. They don't want to be a peculiar people. Acts chapter 2 verses 40 and 41 And with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So you have two generations and it happens through judgment. While the judgment is over, you have a perverse generation on one side and a peculiar generation on this side. A perverse generation and a peculiar generation. God says, be separated from them. We don't like that very much. Why does he want us to be separated? Because God made us for himself. If you don't understand the purpose, we will not understand why God is so insistent on separation. And we will see how God puts it across. I've given you quite a few verses, but let's go through it quickly. Exodus 20 verse 5. You shall not do any of these things. All the rest of the world, Israel is doing this, but you shall not do any of this because I am a jealous God. You do that, then you are separating yourself from me to something else. I'm a jealous God. There's absolutely holy, righteous jealousy in relationships. And he says, I'm a jealous God. In Exodus 34 verse 14, 
for you shall worship no other God for whose name is jealous and he's a jealous God because I have separated you for myself. Deuteronomy 4.24 for your God, Lord your God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 9 you shall not bow down because your Lord your God is a jealous God. Zechariah 1.14 so the angel of the Lord who spoke with me said, proclaim saying, thus is the Lord of hosts. I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great. Now in Israel, along with jealousy, he's got zeal also. Okay, in Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with a great zeal and with great fervor, I am zealous for her. And remember, Hebrews will say that we are Zion. The believing church is the Zion. Okay, and in James chapter 4, in James chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, now we come to the new covenant, he even gets into a much more tough statement. He says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Who therefore wants to be a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God, and then says, don't you think the scripture says in word, the spirit who dwells in us yearns? Basis of separation. That is the basis. Basis. Because this is connected with a relationship. And in this relationship, God says, you need to be separated. And the exhortation from the Father and the Son is the same. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 17, scripture says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with? Lawlessness. Communion has light with? Very powerful, the comparisons. What accord has Christ with? Belial. What part has the believer with? Unbeliever, infidel. What agreement has the temple of God with? Idols. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Okay, You should make like children do in math classroom. Make and make a line and put the two categories together and you will see how really serious God is about the people he has redeemed, Old and New Testament. And we learn from Israel's history where they didn't want to be a peculiar people and what happens to the church when we don't want to be a peculiar people. Reason? Why is so God zealous for his people? Because we were created for his glory and to bring him glory. That is the reason and the purpose of our redemption. You know, the greatest, we hear about discoveries and inventions and patents and all those things, but the greatest discovery in life is to know who God is. And then the second greatest discovery in life is to know who you are. Even if you have discovered everything else, if you haven't discovered these two things, you still have failed in life. These two discoveries are inseparable. Because you cannot know who you are unless you know who God is. Everybody sitting here may think, I know who I am. No, if you don't know God, you don't know who you are. Let me explain to you, okay? If you do not know English at all, can you understand a word I say? No. To understand anything that I am saying now, you need to know A to Z. 
and how to put them together in words and sentences. Otherwise, you understand nothing. Absolutely nothing. There's no meaning. That is exactly what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am meaning. I am language, knowledge, understanding, meaning. You don't know me, you know nothing. You know nothing. This is the alphabets. A to Z. I am the beginning and the end. I am the past, the present and the future. You don't know me. You don't know who you are. You do not know. That's the truth. It is not self-discovery. So you will see great men, even the father of the nation on a voyage of self-discovery, but he could not discover himself even in his last days because he never discovered God. He's still trying to discover himself. He struggles with so many things even in his old age. Trying to discover himself. You read his books, experiments with truth. You don't experiment with truth. You know truth because truth is a person. And if you do not know God, you will forever be experimenting with truth because God is truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Okay. In John chapter 1, verse 3, all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. So if I don't know him, how do I know things that are made? I may use it, I may enjoy it, but I still do not know it. Romans 11 verse 36, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. So the first thing is to know God. The first priority of everyone who hears the gospel and understands is to know God. That should be the first priority in my life. Because without knowing God, I will never know who I am. Or what I am meant to be. Who I am. Or what I am meant to be. In Genesis chapter 1. And verse 26. It is interesting. God said let us make man in our image. According to our likeness. Everything else is different. Animals will bring forth according to their kind. Plants will bring according to their kind. Fish or fishes will bring according to their kind. But man, he says, not according to your kind. You will bring forth according to my kind. You are made in my image and in my likeness. So if I do not know the image of God, I will not know who I am. I will not know who I am. And God is very, very particular about this, this image. That is why God doesn't deal with animals and plants and fishes and all. He's not. He's only dealing with man. Why? Because you and I have been made in an image. That's the very image of God. You have been made in the image of God and in His likeness. That's where the whole of universe, massive, exploding, unbelievably big universe, unimaginably big universe, and they are wondering why is the creator and the whole of the universe focused on this tiny speck called earth. Because he said there is a set of people over there who are made in my image. My image. We are sending rovers to Mars and Venus and Neptune while everybody is in Neptune and Mars and Venus is focusing on Earth. We are focusing on every other star. Because God is very particular about this 
image. You know, after the flood is over, Noah's flood is over, Noah is out, God makes an announcement, interesting announcement in Genesis chapter 9, verses 4 to 6. You shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. So keep it. It's there in the old covenant and the first instructions given by the Jerusalem church in the book of Acts, do not eat flesh with blood. And you buy meat, if you eat meat, wash the blood off. Do not eat blood. Reason. The life of a creature. Let's go there for. Life of a creature is in its, in its blood. Where is the life? It's in his blood. You eat chicken and you take the chicken's blood, you will end up like looking and acting like a chicken. I'm not joking. I'm being serious. That's why in every occult ceremonies, they drink blood. Every demonic occult ritual Blood is part of it. God says, don't partake of blood because life is in the blood. And verse 5 to 6, surely for your life blood, I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast. I will require it from every hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother. I will require the life of man. He says, you know what? If anybody sheds man's blood, whether it's an animal or a human being, I will require an account. But if you shed an animal's blood, God says, I won't require an account. The government may hear in some states, but God doesn't. God doesn't. But he says, if you shed man's blood, I will, even if it's an animal that sheds man's blood, he says, I will require an account from that animal if you shed man's blood. Why? Word 6. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man's hand, his blood shall be shed for in the image of God. Man made him because he is being made in the image of God. Okay, so when you shed his blood and you kill him, life is in that blood. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 10 and 11. Whatever of, yeah, whatever man of the house of Israel, of the strangers who dwell among you, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. Okay, all you young ladies and other ladies and brothers who cook from today onwards. When you buy meat, soak it, wash it, get rid of blood. God is very serious about it. Okay, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. That's the reason he's so gung-ho about it. He's very serious about it because life is in the Blood. Okay, that's when we sinned, we lost life. And God gave a symbol of life to us to make atonement because there is only one thing in this world, in us, that has life in it. It is blood. You can live with half a kidney, one kidney, one lug, brain dead, no eyes, no ears, nothing. But when your heart stops, you are dead. The blood stops flowing into any part of your body, that part of your body dies because life is in the blood and God says, I have given you blood to make atonement. Therefore, God is very, very serious about the shedding of man's blood. The reason is man has been made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. We are not talking about blood today, we are talking about image. Okay? God said, I will demand an accounting. And we thought accounts started recently. It started then. The last time there was accounts. Okay? 
no animal only man because man has been made in the image of god so what is an image remember about the question about taxes jesus said give me a coin and they gave him a coin he said whose image is this what's an image image statue picture whatever represents somebody not just his likeness not just his likeness it represents somebody let me see what i have image i have yes i have see this image why is this image on this note because it represents something to this nation represents something to this nation that's why yesterday everybody will speak about him because he represents something he represents a person of non violence a person of incredible simplicity incredible simplicity you should see pictures paintings of the queen of england and the prince of england and mahatma gandhi sitting together what's he dressed in that's what i keep trying to tell these young people you need to realize if you get into the other rat race it never ends it never ends but if you get into what god is talking about and you know who you are because you know who is him you can always beat that race and stay out of it stay out of it stay out of it he didn't know god but he was a righteous man there is incredible power in righteousness you can stand before anybody confidently because your image does not come from your dressing your image comes from who you are you are understand that powerful man powerful image okay understand what an image means what's happening in us what happened last week if you know news and it's happening charles well what happened why was the statue why did that woman die why was the madness going in us over an image there's a war many many years ago civil war two groups one for slavery one for against slavery but what happened the slavery group lost and yesterday they were no, last week they were protesting against it and they want to pull down the statues of the old leaders of that side because that image of robert lee represents slavery to him to the one to everybody so pull all those statues but you can't change your history that's the problem that's why the president trump when he spoke yesterday he said so how far will you go pull down you're going to pull down washington george washington the first president he also owned slaves you're going to pull down thomas jefferson he also owned slaves let me go further are you going to pull down the statues of abraham isaac and jacob they also owned slaves how far will you go we have to live with our past that's our history you cannot change history we learn from history you can never change history like the government is trying to do they are trying to change history you cannot change history that's there so understand what an image means image has powerful connotations and the most powerful life liberating understanding of images you and i were made in the image of god image of god some weeks back we had looked at it different things but i'll give you three primary things to refresh our memory if one of the primary facets of that image of god in man that man is made in god we are rational creatures meaning we reason out that's the reason you are writing the reason you are writing is because you have reason if you bring your pet over here which i won't allow it won't write it won't even listen no animal reasons 
No animal reasons. They don't have the reasoning ability. We are rational beings, reasoning beings. We reason out why, what, where, when, how. We ask all these questions. And to us alone, God asks these questions because we are made in God's image. We are rational beings. We can reason things out. Not only that, we are moral beings. We have a conscience. We know what is right and wrong or we have an understanding of what is right and wrong. Even a small child as it starts growing immediately understands. Not fair. What does it say? Not fair. We are rational beings. We are moral beings. But more than that, the most important is that we are spiritual beings. We are what? Spiritual beings. So you see, it is because we are spiritual beings, unlike every other creature in the world, we cannot help but worship. Animals don't say, oh, I worship music. Have you heard any animals say that? Oh, I worship movies. Oh, does any animal come and say, work is worship? No. They are not spiritual beings, but we have been tuned by God to worship because we are spiritual beings. So leave a man alone, he will end up making an idol and worshipping it. He will end up. There were no atheists before Christianity came. Atheism is the result of after Christianity. Every atheist who came in came out of Christianity. Because after Christianity is a dark void. What is there after that? There is nothing. So they become atheists. There were no atheists in the ancient world. Everybody believed in some God. Because you cannot but worship because you are spiritual beings. Now people say they are atheists, it's a fashion. I don't believe in anything. You do believe in something. Because if you don't, because you don't believe in anything, that means you believe in something. And spiritual beings we are, but the fallen man If you look at the spiritual image of the fallen man, of the original image, the image of the fallen man, it's like looking into a cracked mirror. What was the original image of Adam before the fall and what is the original image of the fallen man now? You know, this distorted mirror and cracked mirrors, if you look at it, how do I look like? So God was, God, man was made in God's image and what is the image of God? How do I understand this image and Lord I am redeemed, but I want to know who you are so that I know who I am and I become like you. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, scripture says, Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Express image. Express image, exact image has different meanings. One of the meanings is that if you're applying for a visa, they want want an express image. Meaning, they don't want a picture that is two years old. We want the latest picture. How do you look like now? Jesus Christ is how God always looks like. Express image. Express image of his person. Colossians 1.15 says, It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. The entire fullness of God was in Jesus Christ. He is the exact image of God. So the primary purpose of redemption is to restore us to that image. But God knows we are all children and if we need practical demonstration, what does this image look like? So he sent his son in the flesh and he walked among us. And that's what God looks like in the flesh. 
express image of God in the flesh. So when he looks at his son, he says, this is my beloved son. I am well pleased. Absolutely pleased. He is a mirror image of me. When we say that about our children, we only mean he looks like me. When God says about his his son Jesus, he is not looking about his physical looks at all. He is saying he is the express image of my spirit. That's what I am. Because God is a spirit. He doesn't have a physical image. That's what. You look at Jesus, you study the life of Jesus, you study scripture and you understand the revelation of Jesus through scripture. You understand this was the image of man before he fell. This is the image to which God is restoring us. And what is the image of Jesus put across in terms of words in John chapter 1? Full of grace and full of truth. You know? When you, when you honestly ask, you know, when a marriage proposal comes, somebody asks, uh, how is that boy? We said, we say, oh, six feet tall, handsome. We don't say that. He said, munch, good boy, good character. Smokes only twice a week. Huh? Immediately we stop. First thing they learn, does he have any bad habits? You know? They are not talking about what he looks like and they are talking about the real image. You getting the picture? That's the image and that's what God is talking about. The image of God imprinted in Jesus Christ when he walked among us. He was full of grace and full of truth. And we are exhorted to grow in that image. In Second Peter 3.18 But grow in what? Grace and Knowledge of Jesus. Knowledge? What is written? Knowledge? Not about. Of. Not about. You can grow in the knowledge about a subject. This is about a person. Knowledge of Jesus Christ. And who is, what is the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? He is truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And how do we know the truth? John seventeen seventeen, Father sanctify them by your truth. Your word is the, your word is truth. Your word is truth. That's why we come for the study of the word of God. Because we are interested in the knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. How do we know it? Only through this. There is no other way you can know. He says your word is the truth. Jesus said I am the truth. And when you understand, believe and receive and walk in it, what happens immediately? Separation takes place. Separation, there's a constant judgment taking place. We make that judgment in the light of the revelation of the word of God. And there is separation taking place inside. And who helps us with that? Because knowledge alone won't do. We need understanding. We need understanding. After attending two hours of a lecture, when you ask the student, did you listen? Yes. Did you understand? Nothing. That's what John chapter 16 says. However, when he, who is he? The spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. And he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What is the Holy Spirit? He will show you Jesus. He won't speak on his own. He won't speak on his own. He will declare to us 
Jesus Christ. He will show us Jesus. That's the primary work of the Holy Spirit. Gifts are all for evangelism. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is Jesus is truth. Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And when he come together, you have understanding of the image of God. And God says, you can change and I will help you. Okay? It's a knowledge of and not knowledge about. That is why you and I need to know God. To know ourselves. If I don't know God, I really don't know who I am. And what I think I am is is a terrible reflection. Terrible reflection in a distorted, broken mirror. And I can never change. I only become worse and worse and worse. Because I don't know what the original looks like. What the original looks like. Let me explain to you in terms how we understand concepts in the Bible. Okay, you're all good students. Listen. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. A line that is popular with all Modern Christians, they know it very well. You are a chosen generation. What are you? So the minute you were a chosen generation, you were separated from the perverse generation. Understand, positionally. There is a whole generation. What does God call them? Perverse generation. So when out of that he chose a set of people, you became a chosen generation. So separation has to be taken place. If there is no separation, what are we? Perverse generation. So out of the perverse generation, we became a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Okay? In God's sight, in our sight, many nations. In God's sight, one nation of his people. It is called a holy nation. When we look at in the map, we see many, 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 many nations. When God looks down on earth, one nation. His church. What is it called? Holy nation. Understand how God looks and how we see. His own special people or peculiar people. So that you may pro- proclaim the praises of him who brought you out of darkness from the corrupt perverse generation into his life to become a chosen generation. The thing is that we love this word. What are we? Royal priest. We, like, we don't like this so much but we like it now because this is there. Royal. I am royal only. If you see in my blood, it is blue. I am royal only. We love this term, royal priest. Okay? The, the problem with all these concepts, we don't understand it from scripture, not from man. From scripture is, sometimes we know scripture so well, and then later we know that we only know half the scripture and not the whole scripture. Like Hosea 4.6. Everybody knows Hosea 4.6? My people perish because of passive vijay, you cannot talk. Okay? My people perish because of lack of knowledge. And what is the rest half? See, we know half of, half a verse. That's the problem, children. You have to know the full verse. Let's look at it. My people are destroyed for lack of, because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priestful. I am royal priesthood. God says, do you have knowledge of me? Do you have knowledge of me? I didn't know that. I thought it was a position which came freely. He says, no. The purpose of the priest is to tell the people the knowledge of God because he knows who God is and he therefore knows who he is. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. 
Now he's not talking about physical children, he's talking about spiritual children. If I as a pastor doesn't have the knowledge of God and understand the ways and the precepts, the commandments and the laws of God, what will happen? I don't pass on the knowledge of the holy, living, loving God. What will happen? He says, I will forget your children. Because they don't know me because you don't know me. So understand how it works. Scripture should interpret scripture, not a man on TV. Unless he's standing there on scripture and showing you precept upon precept, line upon line, and revealing God through revealed scripture. Revealed scripture. So the question is, Lord, I, I, I want to be a priest. And therefore, I need your knowledge. Knowledge. So when you think about priesthood, quick study for young people, very quick. Okay, The first time the word priest is mentioned is in the book of Genesis when Melchizedek. Okay, Melchizedek, king of Jerusalem, Shalem, that is called a meaning king of peace. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. So king of peace, king of righteousness, which is Jesus Christ, is the first term, first time the word priest is mentioned in the Bible. Okay, second time priest is mentioned in the Bible, it is when Joseph is in Egypt, he marries the daughter of the priest of Egypt. One of the Egyptian gods, priest, his daughter, he married. Second time it is mentioned in the Bible. Third time the word priest is mentioned is when Moses runs and comes to Midian. Jethro is the priest of Midian. Have to look. That's how you study to understand how this all unfolds in the Bible. Then when Israel is brought to the mountain on Sinai, God makes an incredible promise to them. He says, you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's when the declaration is made. You know what? You're going to be my priest. To the whole world, you're going to be my priest. You will know me and I will reveal myself to you. I will give you my law, my statutes, my commandments. You'll get to know who I really am. And then through me, the knowledge of the living God will go to the ends of the earth. One of the emperors of... Germany asked his chaplain, how can we get rid of the Ten Commandments? He said, sir, to get rid of the Ten Commandments, you have to kill every Jew. As long as a Jew lives, he's proclaiming the Ten Commandments given on Mount Sinai. It's connected. They and the law are one. You shall be my priest. And a holy nation. Understand how priesthood, how it means. This was God's original plan, if you look in the scripture. God's plan was 12 tribes of Israel. Every family, firstborn son shall be my priest. Rest, different function. Firstborn will function as a priest in the temple. That was his plan. That was why God meant a double portion. What did people think? Double portion, I will get double portion of the estate. God didn't they mean that. God meant actually spiritual terms. The one who serves me as a priest will get a double portion of my spirit. But everybody wants land. Firstborn's inheritance was basically that. Okay. Problem. God changed his plan. You know it well when God changed his plan, right? Mount Sinai. Aaron went berserk. People went berserk. The whole thing is a mess. Idolatry has begun. The very law is being broken. Everything is a mess. When the law is being given, the law is being broken. Holiness is being proclaimed. Uncleanness has come into the camp. Moses stands at the door of the camp says, Whoever is for the Lord, come to my side. Who moves? 
Levi moves, only Levites move. And Moses, God through Moses says, strap your sword on your side, go into the camp and kill everyone. Father, brother, brother, whoever is part of this idolatry, kill 3,000 die that day. Then God makes this proclamation, out of 12, I am separating only the Levites to be my priests because they were zealous for me. Are you getting the picture? That is how it changed. Levi is chosen over Reuben and Joseph. Who is the firstborn? Reuben. In Second Chronicles 5 verse 1 you will see. Yeah. 5 verse 1 you will see. Joseph will replace. No. First, first Chronicles. Sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. He was indeed the firstborn, but because he had defiled his father's bed. So God says, you may be the firstborn. But if you defile yourself, then I have to pick somebody else to take your place. So his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph. So you have two people here. Who is that? Reuben and Joseph. One technically firstborn. Joseph spiritually made firstborn, but God overlooks all two of them and goes to Levi and gives him the right to be the priest. Okay. So 300, 500 years later, or years, years later, you will see in Numbers chapter 3, verse 12. Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore the Levites shall be mine. Instead of every firstborn, he says, I want only the Levites. God is changing order. Why is he changing order? By looking at the responses of his people. Don't stand there saying, I am a royal priesthood. That's what Robin also thought. That was all the sons of Joseph also thought. But God is looking at us and he's changing order because he's seeing, do you have a response to your calling? Do you have a response to your calling? So the Levites were chosen. And the Levites, if you know Levites, are basically three groups. Genesis 46, verse 11. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Three sons. So they will come into three clans within one tribe. The Gershonites, Kohathites, and Merari. Okay, three. I will, I will tell you church politics. Understand church politics? I'll show you. Numbers chapter 16 verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Datan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of sons of Reuben. Are you getting it? Moses and Aaron are also sons of Kohath from that Levi. Korah is also from this same tribe of Levi and of Kohath. And these other guys are sons of Reuben. So they said, we are all firstborn. So what's so great about you? We are all pastors. Do you see politics there? The sons of Reuben are joining over there because we are the sons of the firstborn. This guy has gone over there because he's saying if Moses of Kohath and Aaron is of Kohath, I am also of Kohath. That's how politics begin. Because you may be of any race, any tribe, it doesn't matter. Has God chosen you? 
Has God chosen you? Family lineage makes no difference in spiritual things. Has God called you? Has God picked you? Has God chosen you? So that's what happens. And if you look, study scripture, these three groups, Gershon's job in the wilderness was to carry the tent and the hangings. Merari's job was to carry the bars, the boards and the pillars. And the Kohathite's job was to carry the furniture. And you will see every day in the morning and in the evening on Sundays, many Levites working. They carry the chairs. They carry the furnishings. They polish this without realizing as they move in the wilderness and do these things, their destinies are being fixed. One day they will move into the actual Levitical priesthood. But today are you willing to carry these things? Are you willing to carry these things? No, I am waiting for that day when I will preach. God says you will wait for eternity. Everybody who served in the temple one day on Levitical priesthood carried stuff in the wilderness. Carried stuff in the wilderness. Get these things, young people. Because you can go to Bible college and never be called by man or called by God. You may have a degree from the best seminary in the world and never be called by God. Because the calling of God is what changes a man or a woman. It's not degrees. Because only later will functions change. Now let's look at, we are looking at one concept alone to understand image. Because God says in the new covenant, you are the royal priesthood. So let's look at Levi, the priesthood and understand spiritual truths. In Numbers chapter 18 and verse 20. The Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land. And you shall have no portion among them. And I am your portion, your inheritance among the children of Israel. Can you tell today any man who wants to go into ministry? He will have no support. No TA. No DA. No insurance. He will say, I am not coming. Aaron gets his nice costume, topi, everything and all. And God says, you like your dress? Yes. You like all your jewels? Yes. Now I have something to tell you. What? You have no inheritance. But are we not going to the promised land? Yes, but not for you. They will all get their plot. You won't get anything. Why? I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. Are we interested? If Christ comes and says, you're getting nothing in this life, I am your portion. Are you interested? Are you interested? Will we still follow him? Deuteronomy 10 verses 8 and 9. At that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord to stand before the Lord to minister to him and to bless his name to this day. Two jobs. First they had to minister to him then turn around and bless the people. Are you getting it? Minister to God. Bless the people. And then verse 9. Therefore Levi has no portion nor inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance just as the Lord your God promised him. What is their inheritance? Is the Lord. Deuteronomy 18 verses 1 and 2. The priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi shall have no part or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. Therefore they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance as he said to them. They will say, okay, it is a good deal. What is a good deal? They will eat the portions of the offerings. Now, only a sinner will think it is a good deal. Because 90% of the offerings are sin offerings. 
On the other hand, if you teach the people and really minister before the God and worship the Lord and teach the people and the people stop sinning, the offerings will cease. What will they do? Okay, okay. They had a good time because the offerings were many. Because the people never ceased sinning, so the money kept on and the animals kept on coming. But do you see what God is telling them through it all? You are a separated people, tribe, separated unto me. I am your portion, I am your inheritance, I am all you need. So in the same way as he called Levi, Israel, and then Levi, he's calling the whole church. So in the new covenant, he calls us the royal priesthood, royal because of relationship and priesthood because of the call. And he says, what does it mean to you? He says, am I all that you need? Am I all that you need? You know, every, every morning who was there in the group gets a, gets a daily devotion. And it's almost always from the underground church of some time, some place. And you will always see one saint, a man or a woman lying in a container, lying in a prison and able to still worship God because they realize he is all they needed. It's all that they needed. We will never understand the power of this priesthood until we come to that point in our life where we realize he is all that we have. And he is all that we actually need. Then you will realize he is my portion. He is my inheritance. Till then it is words. But it has to become true one day. Deuteronomy 32 and words 9. Wait, wait, wait there. But that is not what God wanted alone from the Levitical priesthood and Israel. That they would be, he would be all they wanted. Israel, I am your portion. Levi, I am your portion. Levi, I am your inheritance. I am all that you need. Then in Deuteronomy 32, verse 9, he reveals his heart. He says, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. You know what he's saying? Church, I am all that you need. Let me now bear my heart to those who understand that. God is saying, you are all I need. The whole earth is mine. I don't need them. I don't need them. You are all I need. That is stunning. The other side is understandable. God, you are all I need. God turns around and says, you are all that I need. A separated people. A holy people. A people separated unto God. The whole earth is mine. All these people, cattle, everything is mine. But I don't need them. If they are not willing to separate unto me. You are all that I need. See, that's what I keep telling. We talk about so many things, but we don't really understand the power of it. Like I keep saying, Lord, you are my father. I thank you, Lord. You are my provision. I will never lack. God says, all that is true. I am your provision. The cattle on the thousand hills is mine. Gold and silver are mine. All that is fine. Hallelujah, Lord. He says, wait before you go. I have something to tell you. All that you have, is that also mine? Are you... Then you will know whether he is Jehovah Jireh or not. See, we, we only like one side. We don't like the other side. Lord, you are my inheritance. God says, yeah. You are my inheritance. That's what Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1. Remember his prayer that the eyes of our understanding may be opened. That we will understand the glory of our inheritance in Christ. We will really know the spiritual aspects, the spiritual truth. So he wanted Israel and he wants the church to be separated unto him. 
so that they could be what he wanted and we could be what he wanted are you understanding the purpose of separation that is why marriage was instituted as a symbol of this let us put it together okay genesis chapter 2 verse 24 therefore a man shall which means separate or your indian parents will have a heart attack but that's scripture first law of marriage man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall become one why did god put it that way when he instituted marriage in the flesh because he said that's the way it is going to be in the kingdom man the second adam man the son of man jesus shall leave his father and he shall be cleave to his wife the separated church and they shall become one spirit one spirit so he says i'm putting you an example in which you will understand because your flesh i'm putting it across in flesh from generation to generation this will happen in every community replaying what will happen one day the man jesus christ will leave his father to become one spirit with this woman called the church and in psalm 45 verses 10 and 11 he puts the second law of marriage listen o daughter consider and incline your ear forget your own people also and your father's house father's house so the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your lord worship you understand understand how the relationship is described he is your husband he is your king to king worship him leave 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 you separate he separates and then our wonderful apostle paul who understands all this will put it together in the new covenant in ephesians chapter 5 31 for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh and he says i am single by the way i don't understand this but i can tell you what i understand verse 32 this is a great mystery but i speak concerning christ and the church it's a great mystery he says i don't understand this but i'm speaking about christ and the church are we getting the picture how god puts all these things together and he says do you understand my plan for eternity so what do we separate from and whom do we separate for anything and anybody that would keep him christ from being our portion and keep you and me from being his portion both 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 we separate from anything and anybody that stops us being his portion and anything and anybody that stops us from being both ways okay if you don't see this we will miss out the entirely the second key of salvation which people dislike the second key there are three keys to salvation one is like all instant the third is instant and in but if if you if you see a key you know there is one way you can hold and then when one which goes you know in between there is this long bar so the first key is salvation justification very fast last key is glorification very fast in between there is this long thing called sanctification which people don't like but without that everything falls apart we will miss out 
on that second most important part sanctification and ultimately lose on our glorification if you miss out on your sanctification what do you lose on on your glorification in first corinthians chapter 15 verses 41 and 42 there is one glory of the sun another glory of the moon another glory of the stars for so one star differs from another star in glory so also in the resurrection of the dead in the resurrection of the dead everybody won't shine the same way when pastor vijay shines like a little sun somebody will look like a firefly ha huh? both were saved on the same day yes god says true that was my work but both are not he says sanctification one man allowed the other didn't and all of eternity are going like a firefly oh lord what did i do in earth what did i do get understand because you have to see life through how god sees it if salvation is on the same basis for everyone a sinner saved by grace then glorification should be the same no in between is the difficult part that is the sanctification it is that long obedience in the same direction and when you fail get up repent continue that journey and be progressively be sanctified more and more and more and more our problems are connected with sanctification second phase of salvation our whole problem is with that every instruction in the bible has to be seen in the light of who god is and what he wants for us what is that image 90% of the message in the bible is connected with sanctification 10% with salvation because the bible is as set as a set of instructions to saved people the bible is not written for unsaved people unsaved people read it ah oh, there is a savior and god convicts they get saved and after that they start understanding the bible the bible is for saved people so the bible is written for the express purpose of sanctification understand that that's the purpose of the bible that is the purpose of the bible that's why we need to know the image because there is only one true image you and i were made in the image and the likeness of god and jesus who walked on earth 2000 years ago in the flesh was that exact image of god are you getting the picture and the process of sanctification is changing the fallen man into the image of god that's the process that's why how the world sees and how god speaks is different if uh, if you are a father or a mother and you have children and you or you talk about food you will say uh, we talk about good food bad food we talk about healthy food and junk and we talk about tasty and not tasty god doesn't speak about food in those terms you know how god speaks he talks about food as clean and unclean it's interesting have you ever noticed god never talks about food as healthy and unhealthy and tasty and not tasty it doesn't say he talks about food in terms of clean and unclean because he is looking in terms of sanctification to understand perspective will say what is wrong when eating it god says honey it's unclean i didn't say it was bad i didn't talk about the nutrition value i'm not talking about any of that you can probably blow me away with your scientific knowledge but let me tell you 
I am talking in terms of sanctification, clean and unclean, because I am calling to myself a separated people. Separated people. So when he talks about anything, understand from where he is coming. When he talks about, we talk about dress, we talk about attractive, inattractive, expensive, inexpensive. But God, when he talks about, talks about modesty, simplicity, and inexpensive because he is talking from the point of sanctification. So we are talking from this perspective. What is wrong with that? That's not the question. The question is, whose image are you seeking? Whose image are you seeking? That's the question. That's what I said. If you don't know God, we'll never know who you are, who I am. But the problem is here is that if you mention this today, especially in this 21st century, immediately children in the kingdom of God who knows a little of the Bible will start shouting certain legalism, legalism, legalism. It is very legalistic. <laughs> Let me tell you what really legalism is. Legalism is attaching to anything to salvation. You are saved by grace through faith. Full stop. You attach anything to salvation, it is grace. It is legalism. But sanctification has many attachments. You come one folder, sanctification, then you see so many attachments. PDF files, every kind of file. Some files are so big. Don't confuse what legalism is. Salvation by faith plus works is legalism. Salvation through grace by faith plus baptism is legalism. Salvation through grace, by grace, through faith plus the law is legalism. Salvation by grace, through faith plus communion is legalism. Salvation stands on its own. It's the absolute supernatural work of God. You cannot add anything to it. If you add anything to salvation, it becomes legalism. So when we don't understand that, we start calling messages on sanctification as legalism. God says no. God says no. If anybody tells you to be saved, you need to do, do, do these things, then it is wrong. But if anybody tells you you need to be saved from this perverse generation by doing you think it's right. Not from your sin. Not from your sin. So the godly parent who insists the son or daughter, you have to use son also very equal terms today. Son and daughter to be modest is not a legalist. A servant of God who insists his young men don't drink, don't smoke, don't listen to this, don't watch this is not a legalist. A man of God who cries loudly about the coming judgment is not a legalist. All the instruction in the Old and New Testament, by the way, they are not given by legalists. Though, if you listen to them, they sound like legalists today. How about Uncle Moses? He gave the law. Was he a legalist? No. Practically, three, one, two-thirds of scripture, New Covenant is written by Paul. All instructions about living. Is he a legalist? Old and New Testament is full of rules. Are they legalists? 
those are rules given to saved people how to love in psalm 119 verse 45 psalmist david will say i will walk at liberty how do i walk at liberty how do i walk in freedom because i seek your precepts so you want freedom seek out my law walk in it you are free you are free because modern thinkers teaches you if you don't have rules you will be free but god teaches liberty is in actually keeping the rules of god and that's how jesus taught us to walk the image of god how we walked perfect liberty because he said i have come not to break the law i have come to fulfill the spirit of the lord i am not even talking about the letter of the law let me ask you little questions because we'll stop for today and agle hafte agle bar okay let me ask you this question this commandment one commandment everybody knows thou shall not kill thou shall not kill where is the freedom in keeping it or breaking it hmm keeping it in keeping it the day you break that law your freedom is gone right thou shall not kill the same way look at laws of god with immorality with drinks with drugs everything that enslaves are you free by keeping god's laws or are you free by breaking god's laws everything everything every you have to look this as a rule book for sanctified saints for living don't pick and choose because where you pick and obey you are free where you choose to deny if you look you are a slave you will see you are a slave you are miserable in that area though you hide it very well but actually you know you are miserable in that area the liberty has gone freedom is not in a house that has no rules freedom is in the house which loves its inmates enough to build rules of protection around them i'm talking about the house of god love is not the breaking down of walls but it is the building of walls love is not freedom to go to the captor love is freedom from the captor unless you see god through the prism of his word and his rules for living we will really never know who we are and we, what we are meant to be meant to be. imagine you are walking down the night in hyderabad especially easy to imagine full of nasty stray dogs and there in this house behind the gates is a small little pomeranian barking its head off let me tell you where is she free inside the gate or outside outside inside she gets out they will tear her to pieces and people are like that barking to get out god says be inside you are safe safe within the boundaries i have put you very safe very safe we have to ask our question where does freedom lie that's what i'm saying why i'm saying this get these concepts now get it in deep in let it sink in because life is deterministic <laughs> it is not random as i close i'll give you an interesting illustration i think i mentioned it sometime back but since our memory 80% is forgotten we will refresh it press the refresh button please okay personally i believe in terms i listen to a couple of his songs in the old days but i personally believe of all the 
music, whatever talents that have been in this world, the greatest icon, cultural icon, I believe, was Elvis Presley. Nobody ever had an impact or a fan following or who impacted a generation like he did. Not even Michael Jackson or any of these people will fade and go. But Elvis Presley, incredibly powerful icon. He changed people's lives through music. People imitated him in the way he dressed, his hairstyle, his sideburns, everything. He was an icon, an incredibly talented guy, unbelievably talented guy. There was a pastor, he's also a pastor a long time ago, who was quite well known. He used to preach in the radio. One day in Dallas, in this 13 or 14 story building, he was going in the elevator to give his recording of his message to be broadcast on radio. And this uh, lady, the elevator operator was in a dizzy. He said, can you take me 11? She was in a daze. Finally, he shook her and said, what happened? Take me. She said, you have no clue whom I took up today. She, he said, who? Elvis Presley. He said, oh, okay. So he went to the 11th floor, handed the thing to the secretary, and he came back, and when the lift opened, he got it, and he went to one lower or two lower floors, the lift stopped, and who guessed who got it? Elvis Presley got it. So he looked at Elvis Presley. He's a very, he was a very well-known, very strong preacher. He looked at Elvis Presley and said, Sir, if you die today, do you know where you will go? Elvis said, of course, very confidently, yes, sir. I was saved as a child. So he looked at Elvis Presley and said, Sir, if you are a born-again believer, how can you live the life you live? You know what Elvis Presley's answer was? He said, he looked me in the eye and said, Sir, I got tired of the rules. I wanted to be free. At the very way he died is proof. He thought he was living for freedom but he died of drug abuse and drug overdose. Do you know when he died? On August 16, 1977, exactly 40 years ago this day. 40 years. The greatest icon probably this modern world has ever seen. He said, I wanted to be free. I was tired of the rules. But can you imagine if he had kept the rules, what he would have been? That's how young people rebel. I'm tired of the rules. I want to be free. But God said, I've given you rules so that you can be really, really free. Really, really free. Because salvation is deterministic. God says through Moses, thunders through Moses when he's 120 years old. Choose this day. Life or death. Then Joshua in his old age, I think 110, I'm not very sure his age, I think 110. Choose whom you will serve. Elijah on Mount Carmel will say, choose whom you will follow. Ultimately, our choices will we choose life, we choose whom we serve, and ultimately we choose whom we follow. And every day, life is full of choices. We choose. You getting in there? Understand? Don't run into slavery. One more verse, Jeremiah 28, verse 13. This is what God tells Israel. Go tell Hananiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, You have broken the yokes of wood, but you shall have made in their place yokes of iron. Israel, you are tired of my rules? Of my yoke? Just only wood? You broke it? Don't worry. Nebuchadnezzar is coming. It's coming. You don't like my yoke? You don't like my yoke? Break it. But remember, one yoke will be replaced by another. 
one yoke will be replaced by another. If you don't like the yoke of wood, don't worry. There is another one who is forging a yoke of iron. That's what God is saying. Don't make that mistake. Understand in whose image we were made. That's why Jesus said, if you know the truth, truth will set you free. Whom the sun sets free, is free indeed. But to walk in freedom, you need the yoke of wood. That's why he said, take my yoke upon yourself. And you shall have what? Rest for what? Soul. First is the rest from sin, salvation. Second is the rest as you walk in sanctification. That's to what we are called. So don't forget. Keep this in the back of your mind always and say, Lord, show me who I am. The only way I can know is by knowing who you are. Because in your image I was made. And into your image you are restoring me. Let's pray. Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you. Though young, Lord, I pray young, old, in the Lord, whatever stages, I pray you will impress your word in the hearts of each one of us, Lord. Because your words are spirit and life. That's the power to work in those who believe. I pray young ones who are on the wrong way will realize the yoke of iron is waiting for them unless they change their ways. Because life is not random. It's decided by every choice we make every day. And I pray, give us a discernment to choose. The discernment to see and to understand, not between what is just attractive and unattractive, tasty or tasteless, but to see everything through your eyes. What will make me unclean? What will defile me? What will cause me to lose my inheritance? Help us to see that, Lord. And walk in your ways. Thank you, Father, for today. Thank you for the freedom, the liberty you give us. You brought us in safety. And I pray you would reach each one home in safety. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.